for half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I am John Jagay. Very excited. Today's guest from the class of 85. Do I have that right? 85? Well, 85 by walking, but by receiving my actual degree. You ready for this? 2008. We'll go with 85 for context, but I'm glad you went back and got that degree. Ben G, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Tell me about how you ended up at Syracuse and then finding the radio station. Uh, Coming up, growing up in New York, I grew up in Queens. I really actually grew up in upstate New York, not far from Syracuse. Utica, New York. Mm-hmm. But my family moved down when I was about like eight or nine. I had an uncle. My uncle Paul always tell me, you're going to go to Syracuse. <laughs> you're going to go to Syracuse. When you're in high school, you choose back then, it was your five top colleges you want to go to. Yep. So it was um, New York Tech, NYU, Buffalo State, Syracuse University, and Rochester Institute of Technology because I wanted to be a filmmaker. Okay. And I also wanted to go to that hill and rode down a hill by the College of VPA. Yes. <laughs> so that's how you chose Syracuse, those two criteria. Come on now. Well, back and Newhouse. Of course. In yeah. the College of Arts and Sciences, they had things. But, you know, as a kid, you're like, do you see that hill? You see the land they have? You could breathe fresh air. <laughs> Coming from the city, that's understandable. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I came to Syracuse because I wanted to be a filmmaker, and I was duly enrolled in Newhouse and Arts and Sciences. What were your majors? My major was going to be film, and it's going to be like history. Okay. And that changed after my first year. Okay. Imagine me coming from Queens. I don't have any money. When I took my first film course, I couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford to rent equipment, and I could not afford the film. So I'm walking through Newhouse to press, and I hear music, and I was a big music person. Mm Mm-hmm. I said, what's that? It's a radio station. I'm going, what radio station? They go, W-A-E-R. Wait a minute. Is that station right here where they're playing jazz and some album-oriented rock and stuff? Yeah. yeah. How much did that cost to Joy? And they go, it's free. Aha. Uh-huh. You know I went in there and started training how to be a news person. I got involved with W-A-E-R, and that's how I got my beginning and start in radio. All right. You know, when A-E-R became a switchover from student-run to... NPR, of course, you know, we protested. I didn't like it. But then I knew a, a young man. You probably heard of him. Kenny Dees. Uh-huh. <laughs> him, this other guy named Mike Brown. They did WJPC. And I think it was Malik Fortune. She did news. And I went to this gray building off of, was it University Ave now where the Sheraton stands? Yep, exactly. Yeah. And then they had, what is the name of the store? Spectrum Records. Yep. They began in the basement playing records. Off of like a plug and play. <laughs> I think some of the other 80s alums refer to them as a couple Radio Shack turntables. Now, remember, I'm older than you guys. So when we listened to radio, we didn't have what you guys had digital sound. <laughs> we had a transistor radio. Yep. So if you turned it the right way, you picked up WJBZ 1200 AM. <laughs> mm-hmm. I lived up on the mount so I could get WJBZ. There was no interference. You were just close enough to that tiny little transmitter. Yep. <laughs> so that's how I made my trek to Syracuse. And I got connected to WJPZ. Very raw. 
that's how it was in the 80s. And then after the AM signal went down, it was over to carrier car before it went over to FM right at that time in the mid 80s. What do you remember about your time there, Ben? Now, that was the cool time. That's when I got more involved with WJPC. So Kenny D's and I, you know, we were, you know, radio veterans by then. We're not the type of students who went home all the time for Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. you know, for Christmas. Sometimes we hung around because one, we lived off campus and we had to pay rent and we didn't have side jobs and we had side jobs. Yeah. So I remember I heard, I said, Kenny, you are, you're on cable. He goes, man, it's the radio, uh, you know, we're no longer AM. So until they work out, they eventually want to go FM. Do you want to come on? I said, does a cow like milk? You know? <laughs> so, you know, so I started doing radio on the cable network. I already broke into my chops about certain things. We read news tags at times that people weren't there. We kept the station going during the holiday. And, you know, we even tested who was listening to us. How? Hey, it's Thanksgiving weekend. You know what? I don't have any turkey. I'm quite hungry. If you happen to be stopping by Watson Hall, please drop off something. Don't you know? We got like three or four pizzas. Guys send us a case of sodas. <laughs> I was like, they're listening. I took it even more serious, knowing that the community had their ears open. Yeah. That's the beautiful thing about WJBZ. When we spoke, not only did the campus listen, the community bent their ear and they heard us even when we sneezed. Yeah. And then as things progressed, we saw they're building a studio. Mm-hmm. Wow, we're going FM. So, you know, you go to mid 80s, you come into the end of 84, going into 85, and you look and you're going, this is going to be a dynamite radio station. You know how a kid can't wait until Christmas, <laughs> no Christmas Eve? Yeah. That's what it was like every day. Like, well, did you get it added this time? Did you see that board? Oh, we're going to be professional. And that kicked in, you know? What you're saying, Ben, it echoes what a lot of other 80s alumni I've had on the show have said. Mm-hmm. People were dedicated. People were listening, like you said, sending you pizza oh. when you're on this carrier current radio station. But to go FM, I mean, that just blew the doors off, I bet. Man, Salve, all those smaller towns, when the phone rang, hi, this is John from Salve. On certain nights, people were calling, could hear us bounce off somewhere. From Utica, New York. No kidding. That had to be a full circle moment for you. Find out somebody's listening in Utica. He said, I, I can't pick it up all the way, but are you DJ Ben G? I'm going, yeah, you're breaking up. He goes, yeah, I'm going for you. And it got cut off. <laughs> I wish I had a recording of that. I bet. I bet. So Ben, you did on air, middays, afternoons, nights. What else did you do at the radio station? One of the very fun things I had was I was very fortunate to do on-campus gigs, like when dorms had parties out on their quads and stuff. Yep, like Lawrence and stuff like that. Yes, so you go out to do that, and they did these, what, air band things? You would play the music, and they would act like the band? That was the most craziest thing you did, because, like, we were the mouthpiece. Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon, welcome. Lawrence versus Sadler. Okay, what song do you have? You know, is there what I have? And, uh-oh, folks, they're going for a true one. And there were some students who would truly lip sync like it was the real thing. I was amazed. Way before Jimmy Fallon had his game show doing that. Thank you, right. Way before then. One of the fondest moments was, remember the G-Bar? I don't. You have to fill me in. Imagine M Street on the corner. There used to be an ice cream store. Yeah, yeah. There was a small bar in there called, it was called Generic Bar. Okay. I don't know what it's called now. That little hole, I'm sure that was illegal. I know you fit all the people in and you can't even breathe. <laughs> yeah. And there was like maybe one exit. 
Yeah. So the DJ booth was like back in the corner. I, along with Mr. Rich Usher, he was like an MC. We hosted a New Year's Eve party there. No kidding. Live. On the air? On the air. Yes. I said, Rich, you know we're making history. He goes, what? Think about it. I said, what other student radio station? Forget that. What other commercial radio station has ever broadcasted from this bars in this area? He goes, no one. I said, dude, this is history. I love it. And then we hyped it up from there. It was awesome. I remember the countdown. Oh, my God. So we made history. You know what the hard part was? Trying to get back to the station. It's hard when you're doing those New Year's Eve gigs. And I'll t- I've done many a New Year's gig in my radio days. And that you hype up that countdown to a minute. The only thing that's different about New Year's Eve than a regular bar night is people peak early on New Year's at like 1130, 11.45. And then by yes. 1 o'clock, they crash. And then you get the one, it's like a caps are making their dough. Yeah. Thank God, I think, I don't know who had a card. Crates and crates of records, I'd imagine, too. Thank you. So I did that. And then before I left, there was a show called the Friday Night Street Beat. Okay. Some of the young fellas came in. I would fill in for them. And then I, um, Bruce Melvin began the Sunday Night Love Flight. Yep. Before the ladies took off and Bruce says, oh, man, talk about wearing the ladies out. <laughs> the phone ran off the hook all night long. And one time when I filled in for him, I'm like, oh, a very interesting phone call from very interesting women. <laughs> and not all young. <laughs> Calling a radio station interesting people you don't say. <laughs> the weirdest thing was, you know, when you leave out of Watson, you're at the four corners of Del Plain, across from Kimmel. Yeah. I remember walking down, and this car turned going downhill toward Bird Library. And I'm, you know, and I'm looking around. I see a car, but I know they're not talking to me because I don't know them. I'm, they knew me. <laughs> Excuse me. Are you TJ Pinchy? I'm like, yeah. Did you just get off the air? And I'm like, I'm ready to run because I'm thinking this is somebody crazy. Yeah. She goes, no, I just heard you. I'm Doreen, blah, 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 saying a woman. Would you like to be interested to get a bite? I'm like, I, I was jokingly. You paying? She goes, sure, I'm treating. Oh, free food for a college kid? Thank you. We sat, we talked. She said, about how she listened to the station. She was naming different people. I kissed the morning show. Those guys are crazy. <laughs> I said, that's why it's called the crazy morning show. Back then when you can trust listeners. I'm living in a different world now. You can't trust anybody. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I did. I was a DJ. You know, I did some special things. And then you know, before leaving, the kickoff of FM, mm-hmm. I was there. The day when the news people were around, we stood in the room, they kicked it off. And I think you can see that on YouTube now. And when we kicked it off, boom, nonstop. I love it. The staff and everybody, we work like dogs saying, okay, now that we're here, this is the ship that has to stay afloat. Yes. And guess what? Today, it's cruising. It's almost 40 years later since the station went on FM, 38 years after the station went on FM. That's, mm-hmm. that's wild. Tell me about your journey after Syracuse. What was after Syracuse for you, Ben? So after Syracuse, I wasn't very lucky. There's a young lady who I given debt to who told me something before I graduated. And I passed it on to all the undergraduate people I speak with. And I saw it at WAR, networking. Yes. So my sophomore year, I sort of realized all the scenes of graduate. And they kept saying, this one guy, Henry Brewer, said, oh, you would take my number down. And I wrote it down in a book. And then I realized the next year, or two years later before I would graduate, people 
phone numbers weren't working, addresses weren't working. Mm. So Monique said, you know what? What you need to do is put their names in ink, put everything else in pencil. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, this is, this is before the internet, okay? <laughs> we did it the hard way. We tracked people down. We made phone calls. We wrote letters. Yeah. And we waited for it to come back. So I kept a book. I still had a little black book where I wrote their names down in ink. And I tracked them each month. Wow. Hey, how you doing? I'm keeping in contact. I wrote a letter. You know, when they did, they wrote back. Wow. When it was time for me to graduate, I came to New York. It was a group called the Friends of Syracuse University. Mm -hmm. They are, and still are, because I'm involved with them, a group of uh, alumni of color mm -hmm. who had great relationships like um, the students at WJPZ. You know how we keep in contact? The same thing they were doing with the networking. And she tapped me down and she said, okay, well, what are you going to do? You know, like in my face. Wow. You ain't going to sit around because you didn't sit around in school. Remember, you were doing things at school. Now you didn't come back here. You didn't do all that work to do nothing. And like scared me. And I realized, yeah, she's right. Wow. I can't be a lame duck in the real world. Yeah. So she said, if you're going to an interview, shine your shoes. Don't you ever show up at an interview with dull shoes. Mm. Remember, you're going in a fish pond. They know who they want. Boy, they're waiting for somebody to walk through that door who looks like they already got the job. Yeah. Your shirt better be starched. Your tie better be clean. And your shirt never wrinkled. So she told me how to wear, what to wear. You know, dark jacket if you need one, you know. But go in there, and this is the beautiful thing. You know, back in the days, you go into a building and you see all the other applicants waiting to be interviewed. Yeah. She was like, look, you're a radio guy. You're confident. Walk into the room, carry the folder with your resume. Carry a pen. And if you need to, get a clipboard. Walk in there and say, Mr. Johnson is expecting me. I have a 305 appointment. Don't look at anybody when you walk in there because they're going to be looking at you. Wow. You don't want to walk in there and look like the rest of the fish. You want to walk in and look like the shark ready to eat the fish. <laughs> I was like, oh, so let me tell you something. I remember interviewing for jobs in radio. WMCA mm -hmm. back then was talk radio. I interviewed for a board operator for the weekend. Mm -hmm. I walked in. I may have been two or three people. I don't know what they were there for. I didn't care. I walked in. I have a 1.30 appointment. Please have a seat. And she said, when you sit down, don't look at anybody else. Look at your thing. And if you look up, you look for a second and smile like, what are they doing here? You know, and then go back to what you're doing. Don't look at anybody. Don't move until they call you. Yeah. Because everyone's going to be watching you. I did that. And she said, when you go to meet, shake a firm handshake. My dad always taught me that. Look him in the eye. Yep. And she said, here's the big thing. If you're shaking a woman's hand, please don't squish it to death. Yeah, it's true. Gently hold it, wait for them to grip you, and then you return that same firm grip. Wow. Because, you know, it's all about before you sit down. Only one chance at a first impression, right? And they said, now, when you go in there, to allow them to ask you questions. What they're doing is, you're the fish, they're going to put a worm in front of you. Sit there like you're not interested, but you're listening, you know? Mm. Answer your questions in full, complete answers. Don't stutter. Talk like you know, because that's what you came there for. Why am I sitting there talking to you? I'm the one you want to hire. You can tell all those people in the lobby, go home. <laughs> that's the attitude you need to have. Trust me. I had that. Yes, I've worked at these two stations at Syracuse University. Mm -hmm. W-A-E-R, you know, FM Jazz 88. And then, you know, there was a college station there that was very professional. It was like a classroom. We learned a lot. That's why I'm here. I've learned a lot enough to take on the big city. 
I'm here to work with you and for you. Wow. That advice has to be so key. I mean, any 21, 22-year-old coming out of school, they need to be told these things. Yes. Because what, what do we know 20, 21 getting out of school? Right. Unless someone didn't school you. Yeah. You know, so I went in, you know, sat down, talked that talk. And then you have to let them know that you know something about the station. I go, my parents used to make sure I listened to you when I had to do a quick news study for my um, social studies class. Yeah. You know, you, you imbibe a little bit. Right. And, you know, um, it sounds like your announcers have great vibes and they sound like they know what they're talking about. And I said, that's what I like. And I'd rather work for a team of people I can learn from because I'm new to the city, but not new to the radio game. Love it. The guy said, when can you start? Right. If you need me to be your overnight caretaker, I'm not the guy you'll find falling asleep when they get here at the 6, 8, 5 a.m. or 4 a.m. He said, that's what I want to hear. You're hired. Wow. And she debriefed me. Oh, my God. Hmm. So how did you walk in? What did you say? How did they respond? And you got to remember all that. Accountability. Yeah. So if you don't know, how can you improve the next time? Because you want to move up in the ladder. Now you know how to approach them. It's WJPZ. At 50. Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives. Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence... This is WJPZ at 50. So you get that first job in radio after graduation, thanks to some really important pointers. Oh, man. Tell me about your career after that, Benji. If you ever work in radio, you know that every three to five years, radio changes. (laughs) Things were changing. And from WMCA, Monique got me a gig writing news at WWRL. Okay. Totley Brown was a newsmaker on the Black Station. Mm-hmm. It was international, national, local notes. Mm-hmm. That was WWRL doing that. And then I got a job at the station. It was K something before it became K92. I was a traffic coordinator. I handled the copy. Yeah, okay. And thank God I knew how to type 35 words per minute. 30-second <laughs> copy, 60-second copy for the whole day. Jeez. And then after a while, when you do traffic, you schedule commercials, yep. which, which were real to real. Oh, yeah. And you had to label that stuff when it came in. So I learned that system. I got involved with traffic, made more money. <laughs> I was At the same time, I was still working the weekend at MCA and stuff. And then eventually, someone at MCA, someone told me, hey, there's a guy leaving. Go put a job. That's not a job that everybody knows how to do. And I said, you're right. Mm. And I became the assistant traffic manager. Okay. And this is before the traffic software. Yeah. This is by hand. You wrote everything by hand. Let me tell you something, that hurts. <laughs> so tell me about your career since then, Ben. I finally made it to Big Leagues. I went to WCBS AM as the traffic person. Okay. And the SU alum was the sales manager. That's why I got inside because I interviewed <laughs> with him. He was like, wow, you know your stuff. Syracuse. Syracuse, definitely. From CBS AM. WFAN 66. I Miss in the Morning was there. Mm-hmm. Now, before going to 66 AM, this new guy came into town, Chris Russo. Oh, Chris Russo. Yeah. Okay. 
Mad Dog. The Mad Dog, yeah. So I'm going, why does that name sound familiar? Guess what? When I was a board operator, when he came from Florida into New York, I was Chris Russo's board operator. No kidding. On the weekend. Ha. Huh. So when I met him, I said, Chris, remember me? He looked at me and goes, Ben? He said, dude, you saved me. You were a board operator. You made sure I came in and out on time. You flowed. I'm like, yeah, man. He goes, what you doing? I said, I'm doing copy. You're making the commercials real for me. I said, that's right, dude. So I got into traffic when you learned that, wow, how much are they spending for a 30-second spot? <laughs> then that's when you realize your worth. <laughs> I'm putting in half a mil, and I'm only getting 13000 There's a problem. Yep. Again. So what I did what Mogi said, count your worth. Do your work. Make sure you got certain contracts in. Then said, I'd like a raise. Guess what? I was able to back up. Oh, so you remember the second quarter when you bought all those contracts? You think they can get them in? But I got them in. You were able to bank that money thanks to me. Yeah. $10,000 raise. Wow. Almost doubled your salary. Yes. So, I, yeah, I worked there. I went from CBS AM, WFAN. And then you ready for this? CD 101.9. Mm-hmm. I was the copy person there, assistant traffic manager. I did it for about two or three years. Mm-hmm. Met a lot of people there on radio. Was still in contact with a few. Now, on CD 101.9, I had a... In between jobs, I was assistant operations uh, manager at BET. Oh, wow. Okay. 1515 Broadway. I'm going, wait a minute. MTV. Oh, my God. I got to see all the MTV stuff while I was there. What year is this roughly, Ben? So it had to be like 94, 95, somewhere around there. All right. And that was a temporary job. I networked with the operations manager. She goes, oh, yeah, listen, I hear that Fox is looking for someone to put in contracts. I go there. I go in a temp pool. There were eight of us. I'm the, we're there for a year. After a year, the other seven people go, hey, um, I'm scheduled for an interview. How about you? And I'm like, no. Meanwhile, I'm the only one putting in contracts. I'm the one who knows how to do what I do. Wow, okay. You know, I'm now quite upset. Sure. How come they have interviews? I don't. They come back. I said, did you get it? Yeah, I got it. So now I'm really sour. Of course. So um, after that, we have lunch, and then my boss is coming to talk with you. And I meet the big boss there. I said, oh, this is my interview? She goes, no, it's not your interview. My heart went down south. Ugh. She said, you already got the job. Oh. I go, what? She goes, you've proven you can do the job. You don't need an interview. <laughs> oh, my God. I almost passed out. This is the Fox Network when it was just starting at that point. Fox Cable Network when it was just the FX channel. And I think they just started the sports channel. Okay. Then they bought Nat Geo. There was five of them all. That's when they got crazy. Yeah. I worked for them for five years. Wow. Okay. Next thing you know, I get a thing said, hi, um, we're not firing you. We're just ending your position. Your position is no longer needed. Your position has been eliminated, which is essentially no different. Right, right. My position, they don't need someone just to put in contracts anymore. I go, oh, so what's a new job? You have to go search for one. <sighs> Once again, you're not firing me, right? This was May of 2006. Guess when I was getting married? July of 2006. So you got you got the zig two months before your wedding. I got the zig a week after mine. Wow. So thank God we had what we call a grown folks wedding. We paid for everything. Yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing, right? Everything that I created to help them make easier, I put in my files, took it out of there because I created it. Yeah. It wasn't their property. Right. And then I found out from one of the salespeople, they were mad. I go, what happened? She was like, they cut your job and now 
five of us got to make up the difference of what you do. Hmm. Oh, so I'm doing a job of five people. They didn't want me to be a manager. Jeez. That was 2006. Got married, came back, thought about what I wanted to do. My wife, she is a teacher, mm-hmm. an educator. She says, you need to go into education because you love teaching kids. I'm like, I'll try it. Fall of 2007. I just came in just to watch and see what's going on in Newark at one of the schools mm-hmm. that my wife used to work at. I liked it. I became a substitute teacher in 2007. To this day, I am a teacher, mainly fourth and fifth grade. I am a science teacher now at College Achieve in Patterson. I teach fifth grade science. I'm looking at this stuff in your classroom behind you. You see this guy? That's the poster. I was like, yes, he's a scientist. He's a PhD and he is wearing a Syracuse hat. I can see the little auto, the orange on it. That's great. David Kelly, PhD. That's terrific. He's a computational biologist. Wow. But you know, I'm lucky. My room colors are blue. The post up there is orange. Come on. Syracuse is all over the place. Like it was meant to be. So you had to go back to school and get an additional degree to get into teaching, Ben? I went back to school to finish some credits I had in my undergraduate. Mm -hmm. 2010, I was like, okay, let me up the game. I went back and got my master's in education. Very cool. Master's of science where I learned how to teach kids online, work online, and learn the software online for education. Hmm. Remember, pandemic hasn't come yet. 10 years before the pandemic, I was taught this. Man ahead of your time. Yes, and they were like, I remember our thing was, one day you'll be able to teach kids who are sick and teach them online. That's good to know. So the years working in Newark, working in Orange, I was training my team, look, one day this stuff is gonna crash. Kids are going to be taking tests online. What happened? No more paper tests. Kids taking tests online. As I told you, I said, be ready because you don't want to be a useless teacher. Yeah. 2019 come. I'm working for this company and where I was a push and pull out teacher. I came in and help out kids specialize because they're low in ELA, you know, in English or math. Okay. All of a sudden, boom, pandemic. Everything's online. I was like, <laughs> I'm ready. I've been waiting for this for 10 years. All the other teachers goes, we don't know what to do. I got you. You know, I trained my teachers. I got paid for the knowledge I had. I had fun online teaching kids using my radio skills. Yes. Come on now. It was Showtouch. It was the Mr. Green show. When I taught the young kids, I would begin, you know, with a theme song. Boom, boom, boom. Hey, boom, good morning. Yeah. Let me say, who else is there? And that would make them turn on the cameras. They want to come and learn. Because that had to be something you had to battle during the pandemic as a teacher, as an educator, Benji, because we, we all got Zoom fatigued having work meetings online. I can't imagine kids, yes. kids sitting there. Oh, God. OK, it's science class online today, but you're making it interesting. Right. You're, you're using those skills you learned at JPC to grab their attention right out of the gate. Exactly. So when you're ready, remember when the mic is on, you never go cold. Right. <laughs> that is the opportunity of a lifetime. You give them the show they want. So that when you do stop, they look at you like, well, what? Why, why'd you stop? Leave them wanting more. There you go. <laughs> Let me tell you something. That got me into something that I started in 2009. Now they call it podcast. Yeah. I want to ask you about this. Near and dear to my heart. Back in 2009. There's a guy out of L.A. He had this site called And So We Trust. Mm-hmm. He featured DJs who mix them around the world. Wow. And I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm going, okay, but where the people who act like DJs? I, I typed and said, you have no one doing a radio show? He goes, no. I said to my demo, he goes, dude, and all I had to do was pay for $40 a month. 
And you rented, basically rented the space per se. Okay. And it was awesome. I had a show called The Funk Show. Yes. Two hours, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Heard around the world. Awesome. And that ran from 2009 to around 2013, 14. Mm-hmm. When I got deeper into charter school teaching and stuff. And I brought what I did online into the classroom. My first podcast was the second year, 2009, when I was teaching first grade. I had my kids create a one-hour radio show. Yes. I was the engineer, but they chose the music. Uh-huh. They were the host. They interviewed the principal, vice principal, first graders, and second graders who they were going to be. I'm the one who actually edited and put it together, but they did all the work. That's amazing. The principal was like, wow, you are really teaching these kids the real deal. I said, yes. Fast forward three, four years later, while I was working at another school, someone called me and said, yeah, we need some help with the seventh and eighth graders. I was like, what do you need? Can you do that podcast thing? I go, not only can I do it, I said, they're older. They're going to be a radio station. Oh, yeah. We had a station manager. We had a sports manager. We had a news manager. We had a sales team. We had a promotion team. And the key was, first, we developed what type of show we're going to do. They did a two-hour show. You ready for this? Live. Whoa. It was through Google. Early days of Google. No kidding. Wow. We did a live two-hour show. The kids, they did some pre-drops. Yeah. But they were there live, doing news live, doing sports live, doing live interviews. A host. They chose the music. The promotion people, this is what we did. They created posters. And the name of the school was Lincoln. So the real station was WLLR, Lincoln Lions Radio. Love it. Also, the key to promotion is you got to get people interested. So what you do is you don't tell them everything. You give them just enough, and then you walk away. I said, that's called dropping the bomb. I said, watch. During Let's Go, WLLR, it's coming, and walk away. So they go like, what are you talking about? So for a week, they kept doing that. Don't you know teachers come after you? What's WLLR? And I kept saying, and I smiled, it's coming. Yeah. And they were frustrated. And then the second week, they made posters, and they stuck them up in the hallway. So then in the poster said, coming to you live from Lincoln Elementary School, WLLR radio station. And people are like, wait a minute, what's going on? So now we had everybody's peak from kindergarten all the way up to like sixth grade because the seventh and eighth grade have been doing it. Wow. And then the day that we were going to do, I said, now you drop the bomb. Turn on Google. 2 p.m. today. WLLR is going to be live. Let me tell you something. I think we almost crashed the unit. <laughs> we had everybody listening. Three other schools heard about us. Someone must have gave them a the link. They were listening. No kidding. The superintendent heard us. He's like, oh, we doing live radio? <laughs> that was a proud moment for me. What I love about this story, Ben, and this is something we talked about in all of our guests, 50 years of WJPZ, and we've called it the world's greatest media classroom. And our mission has always been to teach. Yes. Nobody exemplifies that better than what you are doing then and right now. <laughs> that You learn yes. so much at JPZ and I, mean, I, I guess AER, we'll leave them out of this conversation, but at, know, J- right, right. But, but at JPZ... And not only did you go on to work in radio for a number of years, but that passion for teaching, you've turned that into a career now, and you're merging that with radio, which is just the most amazing thing. I love everything about this story. Definitely, definitely. I appreciate this. In Mr. Green's class, I go to the furthest of the room, right? Sorry, I didn't hear you. Love it. Loud and proud. Stand up. 
And you're giving these kids beyond radio, you're giving them confidence, which is so important. Exactly. Before we wrap up, Ben, I want to ask you again about FSU and Friends of SU, which you're, I know you're extremely involved with. You're so passionate about it. I see it on social media all the time. You do a, yeah. a great job of promoting it in that loud and proud voice. <laughs> you talked about what great benefit you got out of that organization with all those tips about a job interview when you graduated. Right. And now it's come full circle because now you're the advisor. So what's it like uh, from the other side of it? Man, what I've done is this. Many of the alums who I've met along the way before I got there, while I was there, I'm still in contact with some of the founders. Sure. At 2019, during the pandemic, watching all these shows, you know, The Good Times and Jefferson, and they talk about history in the making. I started thinking about WJPC. I'm going, wait a minute. The Friends of SU, when I became the president back in 88, 89, I met some dynamite people. Never forgot it. Yeah. And they told me how they created things on campus as students of color. But what made me mad was, remember Circus put out 150 years? Yeah. I'm thumbing through it, and I'm going, didn't I protest on campus in the shanty towns for divestment of South Africa? I don't see that in their history. <laughs> you know? Okay. There were some things missing. I'm going, whoa. They chose certain things, but they didn't tell everything. I said, they admitted a slight thing at WJPZ. But it wasn't like it was bigger. Like we went to FM, we broadcasted. Okay, that should have been a major thing. It wasn't. So I said, I need to take our history into our heads. You can no longer let someone tell your story because only you could tell your story. For sure. So that's why I came up with this podcast, FSU. Our history is here because the founder of FSU, he was one of the people who began the Martin Luther King Library on campus. Wow. Him and a couple of other people we had books that started out very small. I can't think of the man's name, but he's an uh, African-American uh, brother who works for Nike. He's the one, he began the Student Afro-American Society. Okay. I call her a young lady, but there's a woman who class of 72. I interviewed her because I said, did anyone make history while at school? She goes, yeah. She goes, I originally came from Newark, New Jersey. I was a freshman in 1968. I got a full ride to Syracuse University. I'm going, what? In 1968? How? She goes, through the Boys and Girls Club. Huh. So she told me her story. You have to remember, 68, 69, 70s. Back then, people of color weren't treated well. And she was telling me how on the campus, a lot of students were racist. Okay. And they didn't treat them well. I was like, wow. She was like, yeah, we had problems. The fact that, remember the, the Syracuse 8 or 9 who posted in folks, she, she was there for that. She knew those guys. Wow. So she had a rich history. I'm going, no, come on and read about this in the history of Syracuse University. So I got some great truths for someone who lived it. First-hand account. Yes. Yeah, so the friends of SU, I realized that's our history. So I started doing that and then Andrew Mads, I love it. He's class of 75. Mm -hmm. When I became president of Friends of SU in 1988, 89, the first thing I did was pay homage to the people who started the group. There are 12 of them all together. We honored those who could make a thing. Eight of them showed up. But Andrew Mads, I find out during my podcast, he was the first student to get a degree in Afro-American studies when it became a new part of the system. Oh, wow. The young lady I interviewed, she and another guy wrote up Black Studies, which eventually became the Afro-American Studies Department. Wow. 
you couldn't find this anywhere else. So I dug for it. So now with my podcast, guess what I'm doing? You're preserving that history. I'm going to have them into the Syracuse University archives. That history will be forever cemented at Syracuse University. I think that is a great place to leave it, knowing you're doing this to preserve the Mm -hmm. history of the Friends of SU and everybody with that organization and the ground that so many of you broke while students at Syracuse University. Yes. And thank you for being a part of this living piece of history of the radio station. Thank you for your time today. It's great to be with you, Benji. Hey, Jag, this has been great. And thank you for taking me back 50 years to (laughs) present an awesome time. You are awesome. Please keep the great work. Thank you, sir. The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.